Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week, two women who are reappropriating the words used against them. One of those words is bitch, which still kind of feels (laughs) weird to say in this public radio studio. And the other word is shrill. So that's your warning that there's a little bit of saucy language, Mm -hmm. some slightly saucier even than those words that will be in this episode. So if there are delicate ears around, you have been warned. This week, we're talking with Andy Zeisler. She runs Bitch Magazine, which is all about looking at pop culture through a feminist lens. We'll also have some TV homework for you. But first, our conversation with Lindy West. She's the author of the new book, Shrill Notes from a Loud Woman, which is a really good subtitle Mm -hmm. and title. It's a collection of essays that will, at certain points, make you laugh and cry. For me, sometimes that happened in the span of a single page. This book is fantastic. I loved Shrill very much. I actually listened to it, which I think was especially fun because your voice is so strong in the book anyway, but then to literally hear your voice was just really fun. I felt like I could hear you smiling when you were reading a lot of it, which was cool. Aww. Um, My favorite line, I think, was, in a certain light, feminism is just realizing the things you love actually hate you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you were not smiling probably during that, that such line. such a downer. <laughs> No, I think it's really good. I mean, we had this really interesting conversation the other day in our pitch meeting where I mentioned that line and one of our producers, who is a very well-meaning male, was like, like what? <laughs> and and, and Trisha, all the and I, women in the room went, like everything. Right. <laughs> we just started listing stuff at Disney, like right. all of the things. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was interesting. The difficult question is to come up with anything that is an exception, you know? Like, I mean, how much media even exists that portrays women in a fully human light and doesn't have any damaging messaging? I can barely think of anything. And then if you try to cut out everything that is toxic or damaging in some way, then you just have nothing. Yeah, so, then you're just sitting staring at your off TV. Right, exactly. <laughs> and turn it on. And I'm sorry, like, it, it's it's tough. People keep asking me that question on this tour. Like, well, where do you, you know, how do you draw the what line? What is good? How do you navigate pop culture? It's like, I don't know, you just make compromises all day, every day. And, you know, try to be vocal in conversation with your friends and colleagues about those pieces of media and and critique them in a thoughtful way. But you still have to consume them. Otherwise, and you can watch them and not like every single thing about Mm -hmm. them. So I think about that when it comes to something like Game of Thrones or I went back and rewatched Gilmore Girls in the last couple of years Mm. and was like, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and I still love that show. And it was like it was near and dear to my heart when I was at a certain age. But yeah, there's problematic messages in there for what women are supposed to be. I mean, is anyone better at compartmentalizing than women it's just like you have to compartmentalize everything just like okay well i love this thing so i'm just going to like take this like horrible rape scene and wrap it up in a ball and hide it because i i don't want to because i like dragons yeah because i like dragons (laughs) i don't want to like let go of these parts of my identity you know 
So I I read the book instead of listen to the book. Greta likes to listen to the books. I like to be able to dog ear things. To be honest, Trisha often doesn't read the books, but she was very happy that I like Aww. pushed this one on her. Well, I do the, I do the dossier on the person sometimes, and she does the book, especially if it's a novel. But she started reading Shrill, and she was like, "No, you're reading this one." <laughs> um, and you know, and I've I've been a fan for a while, and I remember the This American Life story and other things. But this book made me laugh out loud alone in my apartment, cry in my apartment alone, and then I was like worried about reading it on the bus because I wasn't sure if I would have to do either of those things <laughs> then on the bus. So I had to keep it as an inside the house book. But it just—I mean—I connected with it more deeply than I have anything probably I've read maybe ever. Oh, and that, I really you. mean that. I mean, like, this book is so important and people need to read it. Wow, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. It has just the right amount of snark to, like, like brutal honesty ratio. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> because I think you could, you could have leaned heavily in one direction or the other. And it would have been sort of like you said, you're like, you know, the sad trombone noise of like, feminism <laughs> means everyone hates you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's but like the footnotes are hilarious. All of the 18, what is it, 18 steps to stop being shy. Oh God. Can we talk about those for a minute? Yeah. They're fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I just wrote down all the worst things that ever happened to me (laughs) (laughs) and pretended like they were a self-help manual. Um, Yeah. I mean, I was just trying to think about when I was writing the book, I was trying to figure out like what, first of all, what's the story arc of my life? Cause you don't think of your life like that. Um, And then I was thinking, well, one of the biggest transformations that I've made, maybe the, maybe the biggest is going from being incredibly shy, like pathologically shy as a child to, now where my job is to draw attention to myself (laughs) and be as loud and obnoxious as possible. It is a really fascinating trajectory. Yeah. And I was like, how did I do that? And so I started trying to figure it out. And what came out was just a list of my most embarrassing moments. (laughs) And then realizing after each one that I was okay and that I hadn't died and the world hadn't ended. And um, it ended up, I mean, it's supposed to be a sort of funny light chapter, but it's actually really kind of meaningful for me because it's true you know I just was so terrified of anyone looking at me or and the chapter gets much darker than (laughs) it goes way beyond people looking at me Um, but yeah uh, you know uh, you go through these traumas that seem like the worst case scenario and and you come out okay and there's something really powerful about that I think everyone should go through the exercise of making that list for their own life yeah. and just looking at it and staring at it on a page, even if they don't share it with anyone, because reading yours made me start to go through mine and try to find like, yep, I did something like that. And well, that, yep. Well, then there's that thing. And then you do, you realize like, oh, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> still here. That's it's such a beautiful be idea. That is, a, that would be a great exercise. I think it'd I think. be fun. Yeah. I love it too, because I feel like it's more empowering than if you listed your accomplishments, you mm-hmm. know, like, well, I got my degree from blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I mean, okay, sure. But also like you are actually like stronger than that. Yeah. You know, totally. We are all very strong despite our most horribly embarrassing moments. A good reminder from Lindy West. I'm going to make that list. I haven't yet. I've only made the mental list, but I'm going to sit down and write it down. And we really think it would be a fun exercise. Well, maybe fun is the wrong word. Cathartic (laughs) exercise for you to do the same thing. Still to come, more with Lindy West, including the grueling fun and work or play that is social media (laughs) and a totally justified love of John Goodman. Totally justified. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. 
Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita, and we are talking this week with Lindy West. Her book, Shrill, is about a lot of different things, but one thing she deals with pretty intensely is the idea of Twitter and trolls and bullying. Let's get back to it. I think for both of us, I feel like we have a common experience of you know, if school was maybe rough sometimes or other kids, you know, middle schoolers are kind of all mean to each other, sort of no matter what. But you could go home and if you were lucky enough to have parents who didn't subscribe to the same sort of bullying tactics that your peers did, you got to leave that in another place. But now the Internet means it follows you home and it's always there because I could go home and watch Marx Brothers movies with my dad and it didn't matter if kids at school had said something dumb to me. Mm -hmm. Right. But now teenagers don't have that sort of luxury to unplug or they don't think they do because it's sort of like this constant social pressure. Yeah. That sounds terrifying to me. I do not want to do that. <laughs> I mean, we all have that, though. Some like Yeah, I mean, that stuff is following you home, right? When yeah. you're like checking your Twitter at home or whatever. I feel like I'm never off. Like, yeah. I'm never not at work because we're all like so reachable all the time. Where was it? Some country, France? Some country just made some a country? <laughs> I think you're right. I think yeah, it was France. It, it made a law that um, employers are not allowed to contact you after oh, wow. work hours. Oh, wow. God, that's yeah, they beautiful and email. so difficult to yeah. imagine. <laughs> I know, I know. But what about Slack and Snapchat? Can right. they Snapchat you? Right. Um, but wow. yeah, it's there is this, it's kind of grueling and, you know, fun. It, it's weird because I, I think of Twitter as like, it's fun. It's where I communicate with people, but it's really just work. It's actually where I promote my writing and hone my personal brand, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is why I I think I might, I think I might abandon Twitter this year. Ooh, I think, I think we all should. I'm tired of these digital companies that make a lot of money off of all of us using their platforms. Remember, everyone, if something's free, you're the product. Right. Right. <laughs> that to say that we can't do anything about abuse that happens in these environments or terrible people in these environments. That's like saying if you went into I mean, I grew up in sort of a small suburban town, kind of the only place to hang out except for other people's houses was the mall. And so you went to the mall food court and there was like a slew of teenagers there and there was clicks and there was this and there was the, all kinds of things happening. But if somebody had walked around that mall food court just shouting awful things at someone, security would have escorted them away. Yeah. And they wouldn't have been allowed to be there. And so Twitter is kind of like the mall food court. And so where's the security guard? Yeah. Yeah. To throw up your hands and be like, oh, it's so weird that our product that we designed is like this. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's just inevitable. It's just nature. It's just like people being people. It's just like a lion eating an antelope. Like, no, it's not. But you, you don't let the lion into the mall food court. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you built it. You yeah. built it. You maintain it. You decide what the terms of service are. You tell the moderators what to do. Like, do just do a good job. But then there's so much obfuscation about what's free speech and what's hate speech and what's damaging and what's just women whining and... I think that's really effective. I think that Twitter sometimes is confused, you know, (laughs) like, well, maybe, 
Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like maybe guys calling Lindy West a fat four hundred times a day is part of the discourse. You know, like, and if we if we shut it down, if we shut it down, you know, anything could happen. I <laughs> just like, one step away from fascism. Slippery now. slope. <laughs> slippery slope to slippery slope to Lindy West not believing she's a fat anymore, oh. and like actually getting to. <laughs> Getting, getting to like go to dinner with friends without looking at her phone right, exactly that on it. <laughs> oh, I don't no. want to live. My founding fathers didn't build this country so that a woman could enjoy dinner with her friends <laughs> without being called a fat. Oh no! I think you say this really well and shrill, and we actually wrote it down. I made Greta write this quote out because I wanted to talk a little more about it with you. Which is, I never wanted internet trolls to be my beat. I want to write feminist polemics, jokes about wizards, and love letters to John Goodman's meaty sexual forearms. <laughs> I wonder if I'll ever be able to get back to work. First of all, John Goodman's meaty sexual oh forearms God. is one of the greatest. <laughs> what, what is it? Six words in the history of words. <laughs> But yeah, that idea that suddenly this has become a part of your job. Yeah. Yeah. It, I it mean, doesn't feel like it should have yeah. to be. You know, I'm conflicted. Like, I, I think that there is something important about me being seen biting back at these people. But I do it in a really specific way where I send one tasty burn, then I block <laughs> them. <laughs> uh, you know, because I, I really want to embolden people to not feel like they just have to absorb abuse. It's like, I, I want to be seen doing that. I want it to be known that that I bite, you know, that I'm not a punching bag. But I also, I, what they're trying to do is derail my work and get my attention and waste my time. So I guess what's going on and why I can't come up with a coherent answer here is that my thinking is evolving and I'm tired. And I, also I think internet trolling is evolving where it's so gamified now where there are just these huge throngs of people like egging each other on and incentivizing abuse and rewarding each other and high-fiving and, you know, creating communities based around nothing but harassing women online. And that's just not something that I really want to dignify anymore or engage with. What I want to do is get back to my work and get back to writing about the things that I care about instead of focusing so much of my energy on what's essentially a byproduct. You know, it's like trolling isn't it couldn't exist without me. Like it couldn't exist without a target. And it's just this sort of meaningless, like nihilistic offshoot of my work. And I don't want to let them, it just came to this realization that, that by spending so much time writing about it and talking about it, I'm not doing the stuff that I actually want to do, which was their original goal. (laughs) So don't let the trolls win. Right. I don't know. But, but then I really am genuinely conflicted. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I would have described you before reading Shrill as an aggressive feminist. Mm -hmm. And I found that often, like just seeing you essentially on Twitter and how how you would bite back, how confrontational you would be with some of these Mm -hmm. people. And it was really difficult to watch because it is like, I mean, I'm sure it's exhausting for you. It's just like such a, you know, it's not a friendly, positive interaction. And it was really hard for me to wrap my head around like who's benefiting from this situation, whose minds are being changed, you know, who wins in an interaction like that. And reading Shrill really helped me understand where you're coming from and what the point of it is. Because I do think it's really important for someone to call bullshit. Yeah. You know, I also feel like that's a huge burden. And like, especially when we're living in a culture where Twitter, for example, you know, where the conventional wisdom is like, oh, this is just how the internet is. It's important to me to make as visible as possible the fact that like, these are thousands and thousands of individual human beings choosing to lash out at me 
for no reason at all. And I, cause I think that gets lost. Like, you know, even just in using the word troll, it's so like whimsical. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess it's hard to talk about this in generalities because there's a difference between, like I said, some teenage head from 4chan, you know, making a meme with my face on Job of the Hut or whatever super creative thing they've done this week <laughs> um, versus like a 19 year old girl from the middle of the country who wants to tell me that I'm a, a baby murderer because she's been raised in an evangelical household that told her that abortion is murder. Yeah. You know, like those are two very vastly different things. My friend Jen Brandel and I had a conversation once and we were trying to explain to each other sort of, you know, how we wanted to take up space on the Internet. And with this show in particular, we often just talk to people we love about things we love. We don't start the top of the show with a 15 minute monologue about like the terrible thing that happened in the news that week or whatever. And I, I listen to a lot of those shows. I love a lot of those shows. But we've just chosen to not really go there, at least at this point in this show. We just talk to people we love about stuff that they make. And we talked about the idea that it feels like there's a finite amount of energy and we can either use it to create something new or tear down something old. And some combination maybe is the right balance, because if we only try to build new things, then we'll never break down the old things that we don't like and that we don't feel a part of. But that balance, I think, is maybe something that you struggle with, too, of how much time, like you said, do you spend making new things that you feel good about? And how much time do you spend trying to tear down the terrible, oppressive things that seem to be very old and made of stone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a, a, a weariness right now, especially with the election and with... What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, especially over the past five years where I, I've been doing explicitly feminist writing. Before that, I was a film critic. But the last five years, I, I've really been going deep <laughs> I like the term explicitly and then the phrase going deep within this context. Go on. Um, I just, in 2016, I just feel like I have written the same article so many times and the internet has in some ways a very long memory and in some ways no memory at all. Like I see other people, like of course people can always dig up the kind of shitty thing you said in 2004. <laughs> but also, you know, I see other people now writing the same article that I've written a hundred times. And like, we just, it's just feels so fruitless. And I don't really believe that it's fruitless. I, I'm an, an optimist, I guess, and an idealist. And I think that cumulatively, eventually those things take root. But man, yeah, I am tired and all of the things on my to-do list are like, write a fantasy novel. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> We still want to read that book. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, they're all just as far away as I can get from writing more feminist criticism, at least for a while. And, like, I, I like commenting on politics. I like making fun of absurd politicians and horrible laws. And, you know, I, I there's something satisfying about that. But... Man, it's going to be a long time till November. Ooh. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> I would I would so like rip Van Winkle right now and just go to sleep and wake up like wake up in January. That would be great. <laughs> if someone my husband can forge my signature on my ballot. Yeah, there you go. It in. It'll be fine. Ugh. I th this election is like I thought so the first election I was eligible to vote in was 2000 and mm -hmm. I thought that was going to be the worst most disillusioning <laughs> yeah, election right? of my life. Yeah. This is I mean it's just a like carnival of horrors. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs>
It's yeah, it's going to be a long, long few months. Like Trump is bad enough. But then it's like, really? So all my all my like liberal friends also have to just devour each other. Yeah. And then like poop each other out in an endless, <laughs> an endless loop. Oh my God. That reminds me of something. What does that remind me of? I don't know. Something about endless loops of poop. Oh, the Miranda July thing where you poop yes. back. Yeah, that, that's yes. Yeah. It's, it's like pooping back and forth forever. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you knew what I was talking about. Trisha gives me this look. It's like, oh no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get out of this one. <laughs> I'm just going to have to edit this out weirdly. <laughs> no, any, uh, any poop reference I can, if you need help with any. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> I think that is a, a very uh, sophisticated way for us to end our conversation. Lindy West, <laughs> thank you so much for joining Thank us you. on Nerdette. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Lindy West, man, that moment when she knew that random quote I was talking about, it was pretty amazing. You guys connected on another <laughs> level, I think. We did, and it was very base. <laughs> I loved reading Shrill, obviously. You should read that too, but mm-hmm. let's all mark our calendars. As soon as we find out that the Lindy West fantasy novel is a thing, we'll have to have her back because I'm excited for that book to exist if it ever does. Yeah, I'll definitely kickstart that. Just around the corner, we talk with another strident feminist, Andy Zeisler. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I am Greta Johnson. Up next, we talk with Andy Zeisler. She is one of the co-founders of Bitch Media Group, which makes Bitch Magazine. And I'm just going to keep on saying the word bitch because nobody can stop me. (laughs) It is relevant (laughs) and pertinent to this conversation. Exactly. Andy is also the author of a new book called We Were Feminist Once, which is about how corporate America is commandeering feminism as a concept. Yeah. Think of like empowering lipstick or pink razors or deodorant that helps you overcome your fear. Stuff like that. And for the last couple of decades, Andy has been at the core of this conversation, which looks at the intersection of pop culture and feminism. I think we're most excited, or at least to speak for myself, I'm most excited just to use the word bitch as much as absolutely possible. Yeah, public radio hosts love it. (laughs) It's so exciting. (laughs) So yeah, go wild. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically we're allowed, but it still just feels so illicit, doesn't it? (laughs) It is fun. I do think, you know, Greta and I joke sometimes that putting the word nerd in the name of our show some people are like, but isn't that sort of a mean thing to call someone? And you know that you know conundrum better than anyone probably. <laughs> I remember my brother saying at one point, but is calling someone a nerd like I so officially that's okay now. Like it's okay that I call you a nerd. I was like, yeah, I own that now. <laughs> <laughs> Did it take people a while to get used to that when you were saying like, where do you work? Oh, can I should I not call you that? Can yeah. I use this word? I mean, there there still is this, you know, sort of classic bitch usage that's out there. And in fact, I'm writing something right now about how that's going to come into play with Hillary Clinton's campaign, Mm. because as much as bitch has been reclaimed, it still holds a lot of power in its sort of classic definition. And people use it more than any other insult when they're talking to women. It's not like they use something gender neutral like jerk. Um, It's like zero to bitch. One thing I really loved reading about 
the origin story of bitch media is that bitch for you guys is both a noun and a verb. And I think that's another kind of weird parallel not to draw too many between nerd and bitch. But, you know, we like to think of nerd as a verb, right? It's whatever you're really excited about. It's more about your relationship to the thing than it is the thing itself. Partly it was us sort of rationalizing, like, how can we get away with using this (laughs) as the title of our publication? But it also did, you know, we really leaned into it when we started thinking about the verb form Mm -hmm. and the active form and what it means really to bitch. And can that be sort of framed as a constructive project? Talk a little bit about the constructive nature of that, like, especially in the beginning. But even now, is there still a point where you say, like, this is too complainy? Like, how do we actually be proactive about this? Or is that less of a priority for you? I mean, I think we like to have a balance. I mean, certainly when we first started, and it was very much a zine. So it was very much the labor of two people. And actually, my co-founder wrote the bulk of the first few issues. So it did have that really like, this is one person's perspective and their passion And thus, it's a little bit critique proof from like a journalistic standpoint. But certainly, as we started getting feedback, a lot of that was, well, are you going to offer solutions? Mm -hmm. Are you going to point people in the right direction? Or are you just going to is this just going to be bitching? And so, you know, as we evolved, that certainly became more of a focus. You know, how do we offer resources? How do we point people in the direction of change rather than, you know, encouraging them to simply wallow? And I think that what's interesting is that pop culture critique as a form of activism has just in the past decade become really potent and something that's quite widespread and something that actually gets stuff done sometimes. There's a lot of very different options we could talk about when we talk about feminism and pop culture. But one that Greta and I were especially excited to hear your take on a little more is the show Unreal. Oh, my God, I love Unreal. (laughs) Okay, so Unreal, if you haven't watched it yet, which obviously all of you should, is a scripted drama about the creators of a show called Everlasting, which is essentially The Bachelor. And the showrunners of Unreal, at least one of them actually worked in reality TV for a long time. And it's just so exquisitely salacious and fascinating for so many reasons. This season, the person playing The Bachelor on this show is a black guy, which I'm pretty sure has never actually happened in the history of real life Bachelor shows. No, that's why it's kind of meta, because that's certainly been like a subject of discussion with the real Bachelor over the years. Why is there, why has there never been a Bachelor of Color? So what do you like about it so much? I mean, I just love anything that is about how the sausage gets made. Yeah. And reality TV is, I mean, it's such a Spicy sausage. Yeah. I mean, when when you're talking about, you know, representation, about gender roles, about how media is so contrived, it's got everything. And so having a peek behind that curtain, you know, it's highly fictionalized, but it's drawn from life. I believe that a lot of stuff that happens on Unreal, even the nutty stuff, is is probably stuff that has happened (laughs) somewhere. Obviously, we don't have enough female antiheroes. I mean, we're getting more. But, you know, we have had male antihero on antihero. You know, we've had Tony Soprano. We've had Walter White. We've had, you know, all those dudes, Don Draper. 
So I think having two sort of powerful female antiheroes, and I don't mean powerful in the sense that they are like world conquerors. I mean, their personalities are very potent, and they have a huge effect on the people around them. It's kind of satisfying, because I think that's where we want to go. We've had this thing about elevating strong women, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of decades. And what that's done is, is really created this sense of a strong woman has to be perfectly strong. She can't be sloppily strong or evilly. They can be the Superman kind of superhero, but none of the ones that have more dents in them. Right. I mean, I, I think we, we have to see female heroines be as uh, fragile and as fallible and as you know disastrous as male ones. And uh, I think Unreal does that in a very relatable way. Listen, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Unreal is one of the best things ever. And now I have Andy Zeisler on my team to agree. Just go watch it. You're going to love it. It's on Lifetime for some reason. Don't ask (laughs) questions. Just go. All right. So your homework and mine, because I haven't yet, is to watch Unreal. And you should be reading Andy Zeisler's new book, We Were Feminist Once, and Lindy West's new book, Shrill. She actually has some extra homework for all of us. My name is Lindy West, and your homework is to go to Netflix and watch every episode of Columbo. That's on there. I don't know if they have the full Columbo, but I they have like many seasons. And I don't know if you remember Columbo or if you were just born and you don't know about it, but it's it's just the most flawless, brilliant, soothing, cinematic, incredible TV ever made. <laughs> wow. About a darling detective who always knows This is a picture of Mrs. Stafford's sneakers was taken when the body was discovered now this is the interesting point when i tie my own lace the first loop is on the side of the big toe however when i tie somebody else's shoe the first loop is on the side of the little toe there's only one conclusion mr stafford did not put on his own sneakers somebody else did and that somebody was you You changed his clothes. Now, you wait a minute, Lieutenant. I'll tell you something. You can't prove that I did it. It could have been anybody. And they think Columbo doesn't know. They think they're smarter than Columbo every time. And they're not. You're never smarter than Columbo. She's yelling about Columbo. (laughs) It could only be you. Mr. Stafford was last seen around 7.30 wearing his business clothes. And the next morning, he's found dead in his gym clothes. And at 9 o'clock the previous evening... Nine hours before the body was found, you and you alone knew that he was in his gym clothes. How did you know he was in his gym clothes? If you didn't change the clothes. I didn't think I could love you more than I already did. And I'm like melting in my chair because I'm watching Columbo on Netflix right now. Oh my God. Because I used to watch it with my dad. It was one of the very few television shows he didn't think was the worst. Because it's the best. Because it's the best. It's so good. Peter Falk. In his cigar. Yeah. Oh, my husband and I watch it like as like as as self-care, like as therapy. It's like the only thing that brings my blood pressure down because it's so Columbo always fixes it. <laughs> so even like once in a while he lets the murderer go if he realizes that, you know, <laughs> if he realizes that they were just in a bad situation. That's really rare. And you can't watch <laughs> detective shows now without having to watch three women get murdered yeah. and raped. 
Yeah. Because like all the other dramas are like, well, here's this terrifying serial killer. And it's like, it's like grown up Scooby-Doo in a way. Oh, totally. Really, but even better. It's the best. You're right. It's wow. like, it's I'm co-signing this homework. You guys, I've never seen it. Uh, oh my gosh. We're going to watch Columbo. Okay. That's yeah. fine. The pilot, uh, and the pilot was Steven Spielberg's directorial debut. Wow. I love those, man. It, yeah. It's really amazing. Huh. Interesting. Can we also assign the like going back and naming the dozen oh, yeah. horrible remind things people. that happened Let's to remind you? people to do that? Totally. Yeah. Write down all the most mortifying things that happened to you. You know, anytime that you thought this was your worst nightmare and then it came true and then assess afterward, am I okay? And you don't have to publish the list. You could no, just throw no, it away. No. But And I'm talking about like embarrassing moments not like actual trauma because i i don't i do not assign you to relive all of your worst horrible traumas um but the things that in elementary school you thought right. i am dead now what if everyone saw my butt <laughs> <You know? laughs> well it's okay if it could have been a plot line in freaks and geeks these are the exactly. things we're talking about exactly. excellent all right cool thank you thank you Trisha, I have to confess something to you. Okay. I googled Columbo today. And? Because I was like, what even is this? The best television show of all time? I have heard of Peter Falk. He's really great. And I I've... think I'm going to be him for Halloween. Oh, really? That's a good idea. All I need is a long brown coat and a cigar. Does he have a sidekick I can be? Um. Who is Peter Falk's money penny? <laughs> <laughs> That's. I just want you to write Peter that on a Fox shirt. Money Peter Fox Money Penny. That's your Halloween costume. <laughs> wow, we figured this out so ahead of time. This is great. Thanks again to Lindy West and Andy Zeisler for joining us this week on Nerdette. I realize that we have just assigned you a great many homework assignments, but that is because we are actually going on mini hiatus for the next month. We will see you nerds in the end of July. Just a little summer break. So catch up on homework and listen to the more than 100 episodes of Nerdette you may have missed. If you're a newer listener, you can check those out and we'll be back. Yeah, back in just a GIF, just a few weeks. Back in a GIF. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dassault and Colin McNulty. A special thanks to our outgoing interns, Maya Cole and Seabrin Mallard. Y'all are the best. Good luck and Godspeed. <laughs> Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can hear us wherever you're listening to us because, in fact, you are already listening to us. But we would really love it if you would take the plunge and subscribe on iTunes or follow us on NPR One. Yes, subscribe, follow, spread the good word about Nerdette. And the other way you can help spread the good word about yeah. Nerdette is to give us some stars, especially on iTunes. We love it when people do this, especially when people have screen names as excellent as an awesome gal in all caps. Truly. And uh, no, I actually made it all caps just because I was you were so, so excited about an awesome gal. Well, we are excited about an awesome gal giving us all the stars. Yes. Thank you. You can find us on Twitter at Nerdette Podcast. On Instagram at Nerdette Podcast is where Greta writes teeny tiny book reviews. And you can follow along with us on Facebook. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where there are delightful podcasts for nerds of all varieties. You can find out more at WBEZ.org slash podcasts. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework! Do your homework!
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.